Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to our bonus uh, podcast, Ritas Vishnaskas, Donatas Rubunas, as always, uh, to talk about your league uh, weekly stuff. Today we're gonna have a special, let's say, podcast. We have a special topic uh, for this podcast. We will play some Euroleague trades uh, since after this week uh, we will have a short period of time when current Euroleague players can switch teams and to continue in the tournament because in the end of the month if you're making a transfer after the round 18 it's over the Euroleague is over for you you can only play in the domestic championships and I guess we will have uh, some uh, interesting trade scenarios uh, but we have to start with uh, shocking news, or not so shocking news at all. Breaking news. Breaking news, yeah. As Monaco uh, parting ways with Zvezdan Mitrovic. Actually, we kind of delayed the start of this podcast just because uh, to break the news about it. But like five minutes before the hour, uh, before publishing the news, uh, Monaco officially announced uh, the termination of the contract. Uh, and I'm pissed a bit. <laughs> you want it to be the yeah, yeah, news breaker. But, the, okay, shit happens in our business. Uh, what's your first take about this decision? Well, my first take would be that the inevitable eventually had to happen, and it happened. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's because of the results. Uh, yes, they lost in the French Championship the last game they played. Um they fell down in the Euroleague standings. Now they five and nine, but uh, I think it has to do more with the man management and the actual tensions inside the team. Um, I think that Zvezda Mitrovic basically just became a casualty of of the roster that was built for him. It it was so hard for for the coach to handle all these players, uh, egos, egos, well. and players that are demanding a big role, and you have a lot of these guys. And on top of that, you're adding uh, Dwayne Bacon, which we said at the at the moment didn't make a lot of sense. The the Mike James situation, of course, and um, you could feel that this day will come yeah. sooner or later. And I think it's still a good moment for them to change the coach because they still have a lot to do in the season if they want to improve uh, the atmosphere inside the team if they want to start getting better uh, now probably it's the time to do it um, it's a pity for Zvezda Mitrovic because I think he's a good coach and he did a lot for Monaco he brought them to the Euroleague um, it just happens so that he is once again in this situation we, we remember what happened in Asvel when he was coaching in the Euroleague and uh, there were conflicts between him and, and Tony Parker uh, for underplaying Teo Maradon and some other stuff, now in Monaco. And this team is built in a, in a way that I cannot see a European coach, a typical European coach being successful in, in, in this environment. So we talked with you uh, before the podcast, who could replace Vesna Mitrovic that would make sense and, and would help these players get better on the court and feel better. And it's probably some American coach. and Bring us Rick Pretino <laughs> through that door. Yeah, that, and you mentioned Martin Schiller, actually. We know that Mike James uh, last year tweeted oh, that, really? that he was really impressed uh, with Martin Schiller's work in Ralgiris. He likes the way they're playing under this coach. So you could say he, he might be the, the guy because you need someone who will be very positive who will not pay too much attention to details and uh, someone who could be, I would say, light on these players. 
I don't know if some European coach like you said Sasha Bradovic could work for this team, um, but we'll see what happens. It, I heard that uh, for a long time Sasha Bradovic uh, was kind of mentioned as the primary candidate to repla- uh, replace Met- Mitrovic if the coaching change will be needed because Bradovic already worked uh, for this uh, club before and he has a great relationship with the front office of uh, Monaco and uh, to this day uh, straight before actually uh, the n- official news about Mitrovic and Monaco I was told that it's kind of 100% sure that uh, Obradovic will be the next head coach or at least uh, my sources told that okay if they need a um, different head coach, if they need a head coach, if um, Mitrovic is for, for real leaving Monaco, it's kind of uh, sure that uh, Obradovic at least will be in the conversation of, I don't know, top two or top three uh, candidates. And nobody will be surprised if he will be the next one. Uh, but I agree with you. I'm not so sure if that kind of approach coach is suitable uh, for this team with so many um, difficult characters. And uh, I think that Last week we talked about uh, Mitrovic and his uh, position in Monaco and I mentioned that uh, this front office is not willing to part ways with Mitrovic uh, even though players maybe they wanted a different coach but I have a feeling that probably even Mitrovic kind of had that discussion with the front office and said that hey guys I lost the locker room I cannot work, uh, or at least I cannot regain the trust of this team anymore. And since they are in a great relationship, I have a feeling that next year, when Monaco won't be in the EuroLeague, they might play in the EuroCup, for example, probably going to be according to the French Championship uh, results, final standings. I have a feeling that with a lower-level team, uh, with, uh, let's, let's say, less talented and less egoistic team, Mitrovic will do a great job again. And, for example, his last year achievement with Monaco, I mean, winning the EuroCup with Lokomotiv, uh, with uh, uh, Virtus, with Unix, who made the finals uh, on a really high note, it was shocking, Uh, especially when Monaco didn't have big names uh, that year. Uh, D-Boss was... One, 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 one of their key players, the main pl- yeah. point guard. And they kept probably only Rob Gray is the player or two players. Maybe Otara was also the player from the last year. So they kind of changed the roster because that that roster was not good enough to compete in this uh, EuroLeague. So I believe that since they had a, a lot of success, they won the French Cup uh, three times with Zvezdan Mitrovic. They promoted to the French Championship with Zvezdan Mitrovic. They won the EuroCup. A EuroCup coach of the year last year, uh, Zvezdan Mitrovic. So I believe it's, it's just a, let's say, short-term solution because for this team, for this locker room, they just it's it's easier to change the head coach rather than to change six players because probably that was uh, one of the two. So I still believe they will make some changes in the roster. They should mm-hmm. release some of these players. They have too many. And... If Sasha Bradovic comes in, I think he will want to change some things according to his own uh, philosophy and uh, uh, some players will probably leave the team before the new year. But one thing is for sure that Sasha Bradovic is maybe even tougher than than Zvezdan Mitrovic. We know that Sasha Bradovic in his previous clubs also had some tensions between the board, the the players, in Servana Zvezda, in, in Russia when he he was coaching Krasnodar. So I don't think it's a good idea uh, for Sasha Bradovic to go into this 
environment and for Monaco to bring him as a new head coach, I think they should look for somebody else with a different approach and different character. I remember our Lithuanian coach, Danus Domaitis, was one of the candidates probably two or three years ago when they appointed Sasha Bradovich, if I am right, or maybe it was even Zvezdan Mitrovic last year. And I thought that, okay, if Mitrovic is out, I, I also forgot uh, about Obradovic before. I was thinking that, okay, maybe it's time for Danius Sodomitis, even though he didn't have a good time uh, coaching uh, Hapoel Jerusalem. But then I thought about the locker room, which uh, would be waiting for Adomaitis in, in Monaco. And since he already had a very bad experience with Hapoel, and probably he even told it on, on the podcast of, of our colleague Rokas Pakenas, um, Bill Kenrolas, uh, that uh, he, he mentioned that he's not going to um, take the team during the season. And uh, imagine, okay, it's the EuroLeague. It's a great chance for him, but with this locker room, there are more chances just to get you know fired again, just to lose the team again with that kind of uh, environment over there. So I don't know if Obradovic or any other coach, that will be a hell of a task uh, to handle this team. But at the same time, it shows that Monaco is all in for this season. They want to make the top eight to save their place in the EuroLeague. And you have to respect the uh, ambition. I respect the ambition, but uh, it's also a lesson to be learned that when you are building a team, you need to be more careful choosing the players. You need to have probably more dialogues before signing somebody and you need to think about the coach. You're building a team for the coach and his opinion should matter. I don't really believe that Zvezdan Mitrovic wanted all these players. Maybe some of them, but not all of them, the way this team was built. Uh, it's fair to say that for Zvezdan Mitrovic, it would have been easier to work with the actual roster that they had before the start of the season. Mm. And when on top of everything, they added Mike James and Will Thomas, maybe it was not in coach's favor, especially when later on they brought in Dwayne Bacon. It, it's an American team right now, and it's not for a Serbian coach to handle it. I think it's for an American coach. And I mean, there are not so many, or probably there aren't any success stories of American coaches coming to Europe. But Monaco, Monaco, I think they are in a position right now where they should be creative. And I mean, Martin Schiller, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I said that when Jalgiris uh, fired him, that th this is it for Martin Schiller in the EuroLeague. He didn't prove to EuroLeague clubs that he is um, a worthy candidate. But in this situation, it wouldn't hurt. Players, players probably will be happier with a coach like this. So, yeah, he's not hard on players. He's he has a okay. He has a shorter rotation, so you can expect you could expect uh, some roster changes. And by the way, there's a good uh, thing for Monaco front office because probably we'll have some trade scenarios and ideas how to fix uh, uh, Monaco roster. So yeah, trade seven players, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. I have some crazy <laughs> trades uh, okay. Monaco included. Yeah. Okay, but let's start with the, our main topic uh, of this podcast. Uh, once again, uh, Barcelona uh, made a highlight of the week, uh, El Clasico, Barcelona-Real Madrid game. So we will uh, talk in depth uh, about this game. Uh, the worst part is from that game, from my personal experience, that since I have a newborn and 
I was watching the game some certain uh, conditions. I couldn't. I have to. I had to watch the game without sound, so I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't um, feel that amazing atmosphere, which was in small, tiny, old but crazy Palau Blaugrana. So, how was it? Was it that kind of emotional? And you, you weren't surprised why Sergio Lul Yul uh, showed that <laughs> middle finger. Uh, actually, I, I was always wondering how. Exactly, you should pronounce Sergio. Is it Yui? I mean, I know we're making it easier for ourselves, but is it Yui? <laughs> Yui. Okay. If somebody now, knows, uh, please leave a comment. I'm entering ACB website. Yeah. And I will. So check while you're profile. doing it, yeah. uh, I I can talk about the atmosphere a little bit. One second. One yeah. second. Yeah. Yui. Sergio Yui. Yui, yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. But for us, it's easier to say Yul or Lul or whatever. Before he was Lul in Lithuania. Yeah, but so. it's Yui for sure. Okay, um, yeah, Palau was crazy as expected. Uh, the atmosphere was great. I am always afraid that this building is gonna collapse when uh, when a game is happening and people are making a lot of noise because you were in Palau, I was in Palau. We know that it's a very old building. I don't think it's in a condition to host uh, these big EuroLeague matches, but it is what it is. Uh, you could see, I mean, the coaches were sweating. It was really hot in, in, in the building. Like, you should have played the, uh, Nelly's song. It's getting hot in here, so take off all your clothes. Okay, but, continue, continue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now nah, I'm going to stop right here. Uh, but some great preferences uh, with some songs. I I mean, I, I just remember everything that happened in, in the 2000s because I was watching a lot of MTV. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, the Catalans were really fired for this El Clasico. I think it was a special El Clasico for them to get a better feeling. The president Laporta was in the building. It was a week when Barcelona, shockingly, were eliminated from the UEFA Champions League. So they needed some, I don't know, better feeling. And it was basketball that brought it, and it was a great game from Barcelona, really. The energy they brought into the El Clasico was amazing. Nikola Mirotic, how how he was fired up for this game. Nikola MVP Rotic. Uh, wow. That's his name. That's for sure. how we should pronounce his it, name. It was the highest scoring first half for him and for Brandon Davis this season so far, because Brandon was also hitting jump shots. Um, Real Madrid, I, I cannot say they played bad, they just couldn't handle Barcelona's energy. Uh, Real Madrid really suffered because of missed free throws. Those are easy points you have to take. Barcelona mm. were, ma were making a lot of free throws. Yeah, they so missed 10 free throws, 11 yeah. from 10 to 1. So in order to keep up with them, you had to make your own free throws. You always had the feeling that Barca is in control of the game. I would say, apart from Mirotic being uh, a godlike personality in this game, uh, it was also uh, Nicola Provitola actually who gave them a big boost. As a playmaker, he looked very solid in this game. Especially Yo in the decisive moments. Yeah. He took his coyones on oh, the yeah. table. Yeah. Uh, in the first half, maybe it was Jakubaitis uh, more, but in the second half, definitely La Provitola was, was controlling the tempo. And just uh, players making big plays. For example, a guy like Sergi Martinez, he had a task to pressure the ball handler, whether it's Ertel, whether it's Yul, Yui. He did it, and he, it, he at mo in mo some moments he was amazing with his full court pressure. I I saw Sharas like 
triumphing after Sergi Martinez stopping Thomas Hertel. After some successful uh, yeah. breaks or even after stealing the ball and having an easy layup, if Martinez was not kind of pushing uh, his players uh, uh, from the baseline, Charles was killing Martinez. Oh, so yeah. He, oh yeah. Not only Martinez was pushing, uh, Martinez was pushing Real players, but he was always under the pressure from Charles. But it's nice to see these things when a very specific player is prepared for a very specific game to have a very specific task. And he was doing it for, I believe, like 22 or 23 minutes. 24 minutes. minutes. Just because he of this. He had only one shot. Yeah, but it's, it's great to see when a player knows mm-hmm. what's expected from him. And, and he accepts the role. Yeah, yeah. And he did it. I think I think he deserves a lot of praise uh, for this performance. Obviously, before the game, everyone was expecting a big battle between Yabusele and Mirotic. You could say the hottest power forwards in the league right now because Yabusele up to this game was, was really amazing for Madrid. But Yabusele really couldn't handle Mirotic mentally, f- physically. And... We know that Mirotic is not very good defender, but yeah. the Big way he was hustling, he he bring the brought the physicality uh, on the top level this this year on this season. Uh, he also he really tried a lot and he tried to make Yabusele's life in the post as uncomfortable yeah. as possible. They couldn't attack Mirotic. You were they tried, uh, but at least couldn't. I was expecting that. Okay, Mirotic is gonna score buckets, but he he will be attacked. Yabusele will use his strong body. They just couldn't do it. Uh, I think one of the reasons was that the point guards were on so much pressure, they couldn't set the team on on, on the offensive end. So Real Madrid were living off some random three-point shots they got from like Fabian Cosera and some plays made by Williams Goss or, or Thomas Hertel hitting a couple of jump shots from the pick and rolls. But Real Madrid was, I think they were out of their comfort zone. They couldn't play their own basketball. Uh, another thing is, of course, f- foul trouble. Eddie Tavares mm-hmm. and and um, Yabusele got in an early foul trouble. And of course, once again, thanks to Mirotic, he was yeah. super aggressive, uh, and he you saw that MVP performance is coming from the uh, since the first minute uh, because Mirotic was running the floor. He was making early confident three pointers. He was aggressively asking the ball in the post, and probably that was also one of his tasks, just to foul out Yabusele. And, yeah. and try to eliminate him eliminate him from the game. And I don't remember how many fouls Yabusele had in the first half, maybe two in the first quarter, but he went scoreless in the first. He Yabusele scored his first points in, in the middle of third quarter, but at the second quarter, he wasn't on the court at all. Uh, he was always on the bench, so I'm not so sure if Lasso was right uh, with this uh, decision because it completely took uh, Yabusele out of his uh, rhythm and took all the momentum. And they have very limited options at the power forward position. They're waiting for Randolph and Tompkins to get back into the rotation, and they actually need these guys because Tristan Vukcevic, as talented as he is, I don't think he's prepared no, he's to, really. to play in El Clasico yet. And they had some moments in the game when they were playing Rudy Fernandez on Mirotic, which is not good. Uh, Rudy Fernandez is not a number four. He He's not someone who can guard bigger players. And it's just a well-deserved victory for Barca. Now they're leading the standings. I saw most of their games this season so far. I would like to say that this was their best performance. We know that in Istanbul it was a crazy overtime thriller, 
But this was a more complete performance because uh, if you remember the game against FS, they were in trouble after the first two quarters. So Sharas had to make some decisions out of the box like these mm. especially big lineups. Here against Madrid, they were in the front seat since the very beginning of... Well, not the very beginning. Maybe Real Madrid started first few minutes better. But Barcelona won... The first quarter, the second quarter, they were leading the game. They had a double-digit lead. Of course, you know the experience of Real Madrid players. They always try to make a comeback. You can never write them off. But in this game, I had a, f I didn't have a feeling that they might complete their comeback. That remontada, as it is said in in Spain, was not possible in this case. Although they started the game good, they were nine-two uh, after the first uh, few minutes of the game. But the problem for Bar Barca was. Only that Sertac Shanli uh, was missing open open looks, open shots. Uh, he was 0 from 5 uh, from the three-point line. Yeah, they were doing the classical... They were attacking pick Tavares and pop all against the time. Tavares. Yeah, and then Davis entered the court and he scored, if I'm right, 14 points in the first half. Yeah. 16 in total, only in 14 minutes. And I actually kind of felt bad for Davis. He was uh, benched almost all four quarters. But at the same time, even though Sertac was not very efficient on the offensive end, he made some, I, I think, that couple of crucial blocks uh, in the end of the game. Also got a very important offensive rebound, so he was contributing in uh, all the other ways, not just by scoring, because they, they had enough scorers from Mirotic and, uh, as you mentioned, uh, La Provitola. Uh, what I have to add about La Provitola, who played 33 minutes and controlled the tempo of the game, and also Jokobaitis, who scored 12 points in 14 minutes, four assists, uh, as well as, as La Provitola. Uh, when Nicolaitis joined the injured uh, players list in Barcelona uh, with Corey Higgins, uh, with Abrinas, which is crazy. You see all these great players sitting on the bench and not in uniform, and you see Barca dominating almost full Real Madrid squ uh, squad. Okay, there's no Tompkins, Randolph, but Abal they were... Abalde was not playing. Yeah, but these two guys... We're not with the team from the beginning of the season. Yeah, Real Madrid just has a deeper roster. Yeah, and they have... When everyone's healthy, they will have 15 or 16 players and they will leave some of them out. Yeah, obviously. but they want, want to, I want to say that they still managed to control the game with Sergio Martinez, with La Provitola, who was undervalued in Real Madrid and he was who was publicly criticized by by probably the president of the team uh, from the last uh, season. Rokas Jokobaitis as well. I mean, Martinez is twenty. Uh, Martinez is twenty-two. Jokobaitis is is twenty, I guess, or twenty-one. Twenty-one, uh, maybe. Turning twenty-one, I, I believe so. Yeah, uh, and uh, what is interesting that these two point guards really stepped up uh, since uh, Kalaitis got injured. Their numbers uh, rised significantly. For example, La Provitola was averaging five point eight points and uh, 1.6 assists in 15 minutes now he's averaging in four games he was averaging 15 points on tremendous shooting 69 from the two-point range and 55 uh, from the three-point 5.5 assists only 1.5 turnovers in 27 minutes Jokobaitis also brings a lot on the table 10.3 points per game on 53 percent two-point shooting and 83 three-point shooting in 20 minutes per game, five assists also, two turnovers. So you cannot ask more from, from these two backup uh, playmakers. And you can remember that both of them had a 
hard time in the beginning of the season. Laprovitola, once he was out of rotation, almost getting like five minutes per game, Jakubaitis was making a lot of mistakes. He was very inconsistent. And now when it's matter uh, to step up for the injured uh, main point guard, they, they're performing really well. And probably that's that's why Barcelona is now on the six-game winning streak and they top the standings. And they had a debut from Dante Exum as well in, in mm. this game. Uh, what a nice way to play our first European game, uh, El Clasico in Palau. So Dante Exum played 13 minutes. You could not draw any conclusions from his performance. You could see that he um, was really motivated and he was trying hard on defense, but obviously he still has to learn a lot the system, the way they play. I think Shara still needs to uh find out what role he can give to Dante Exum on offense. I mean, defensively, it's obvious he has a good body. He can yeah. uh, guard multiple positions, but uh, on offense, what can he bring to this team? Uh, and I would mention a couple of facts from the box score, actually. Uh, the huge difference maker, as we said, free throws. Barca scored 26 points from the free throw line. Real Madrid only 11, so it's a 15-point difference uh, uh, only from free throws which is huge, and Real Madrid had 15 offensive rebounds, but it couldn't actually benefit from those. It's a lot of second chances, but not too many second chance points, I think, score. Because, uh, for example, Eddie Tavares only got his points when they were down by double digits already in the fourth quarter. Up to this point, he was really handled by Barcelona. He was in foul trouble, he couldn't help the team the way he wanted. And yeah, so I think Barcelona really hit Real Madrid in those spots where where it hurt the most. Of course, when you miss 10 free throws in El Clasico, it's hard to expect to have a positive outcome. But then, the, yeah, the emotions were f- flying. Um, Pablo Lasso had a technical foul. Sergio, you, you had a middle finger in the air and a lot of things happened afterwards. I was surprised by that middle finger. He He's the yeah. captain of Real Madrid. He's yeah. a very experienced player and I thought that it's very hard uh, to take him out of his control. Uh, I, I didn't expect that from Sergio Yul, really. He's too old for that, no? He's too smart. Yeah, too smart, too old, too But too he apologized. Yeah, yeah. He apologized, so it's a good thing. That was an interesting thread on Twitter because Alex uh, Abrinas also replied uh, and he kind of uh, protected Sergio uh, Yui, uh saying that, okay, what happened, that happened. Uh, but that's what happens when you have to endure all the insults for a long time and you just explode. So, uh, yeah, I think... Obviously, you is Madrid, but um, of course he has friends on, on this Barcelona team. I 100% believe that you respects Charas. He respects guys like Oriola or Abrines. Uh, he played with them in the national team. They became the world champions together. So it was just Sergio, you being caught by this bad emotion when he was booed, there were some chants from Barcelona fans. They lost the game. They were unhappy, maybe with the refereeing. Uh, Pablo Lasso was yeah. also... Uh, you used to see Pablo Lasso, I don't know, handling everything a little bit better than he was in this game. Uh, so s- something happened. I wouldn't judge Sergio Yu because of this. He apologized. I think after a couple of hours, he realized it was not okay. He was caught on camera doing yeah. this middle finger. So, uh, 
let's not make a big deal of it. Yeah, because in the end of the day, at the end of the day, the problem, the core of the problem, is in the stands, not with the player. Yeah, and it's just a reaction after what uh, happened. Uh, okay, I I agree with the conception that stars should be as an example, uh, not just for kids, but just for sportsmanship reasons. Yeah. Let's say. But at the end of the day, they have to uh, get through a lot of pressure and a lot of unfair ple- uh, pressure where people just kind of, you know, getting their frustrations, uh, trying to get away from their frustrations, going uh, to the games and trying to curse uh, players, referees. And and what's funny that, you know, if they would meet them face to face, they would never do that. But yeah. uh, being in the stands somewhere you, where you're kind of unreachable, where you have that uh, feeling of big, big uh, quantity of people going against something, you feel stronger than you really are. And that's probably how fans should be educated. Or I, I don't know how to handle this situation because what is interesting that NBA is going through something like that. And, but their approach is very different and it starts from uh, players. Okay, from time to time they ban fans either for life to attend games or for, for example, two years. But they also fine players. Uh, Kyle Kuzma recently was fined for $15,000 uh, because he showed the middle finger during the game. Okay, it was very child- childish. We all know Kyle Kuzma. He just made his three-pointer. And he was <laughs> like this. It, it was stupid. Kevin Durant, he also had kind of altercation with, with, with fans some verbal uh, stuff. He cursed fans and he was also fined. And that's the, the approach how NBA handles this situation. Although I, m- I remember two years ago, I think that when Russell Westbrook was offended oh, yeah. in Utah, uh, a lot of players spoke out and they mentioned that players should be protected. And by penalizing them, it kind of uh, let fans think that they have nothing to lose about it. And all only players will get some punishment. So why not to continue? It, because you irritate the player, and also you can get him fined. So it's a win-win situation for for uh, uh, hecklers. I think you just need to draw a line. And for me personally, being mean to somebody is not a crime, and it should not be penalized. However, being, for example, racist is a mm. different thing. So if there are some racist chants. You can stop the game. You can punish the fans. You can punish the club. But if someone is just being mean and just saying stuff to a basketball player, well, then it's up to you to show your professionalism and don't react to it. I mean, being stupid or being mean, it's not a crime. It's not against any rules. Uh, you want to have these emotions in, in, in games like this. You want to have the fans uh, being noisy doing their part because without fans uh, these European derbies these big games are nothing right so um, I I don't know the exact lyrics that were against Sergio Mm Yule in this this game but I believe it was just something being mean and Barcelona fans picking on Real Madrid's captain so it is what it is actually just now I realized that Nikola Mirotic made more free throws than the whole Madrid's team. He scored 14 points from the line and Real Madrid had only 11. So when Nikola Mirotic gets 14 free throws, you're dead. <laughs> 39 
Efficiency rating, 31 30 points, points, 10 rebounds. Yeah. Career nights. Yeah. Not just in numbers. He was just dominating the game, and he changed the momentum uh, of the game. Kyle, Kyle Kurich also, once again, he was amazing with all these uh, his effort. Uh, he actually missed open rebounds. shots. Yeah. Real yeah. Madrid was lucky because in the beginning, Kyle Kurich was missing uh, open shots. He's a guy you never expect to miss an open look because he's like a robot. But he held them a lot in yeah, all the sure. other ways. So he's another player that actually stepped up since uh, since Corey Higgins' I- injury yeah. and Abrines, of and course. And I think he's a bit underrated. I think he's a bit underrated in terms of his hustle plays, physicality, and, his dis- and defensive abilities. We should yes. count points scored after Kuric or right now Laprovitolis. Yeah, screens. because he has a reputation of a shooter, right? So mm-hmm. what you expect from a shooter is to hit shots. Like you see Milaknis and Jalgiris, he is always going to be judged on his shots. Did he hit them or not? And Kyle Kuric does a lot more than just shooting. So a lot of respect for him. Indeed. Okay, let's continue with uh, some other uh, teams. And right now, probably it's time to talk about Maccabi uh, Tel Aviv. They are on a losing streak. And if I'm right, four yeah, in a row, four game uh, losing streak. Uh, the l- the recent loss was against Unix uh, Kazan, and what was interesting that after the game there were some fans whistling the team. It's it's a question. They were whistling the team or the head coach because I saw that I- reports in Israeli media that uh, all these boos were against coach Yanis uh, Sferopoulos. But I watched the game, and after the game, I saw that uh, many players uh, were, you know, thankful for the fans. Let's see. I don't know the name of their main uh, fan base, fan group, uh, but it seemed like they kind of applauded each other for, for the effort they made. But because in the end of the day, you have to admit that Unix are playing crazy lately and they were they won the game after some crazy shots and after really high level individual uh talent uh so i don't see why you should be very angry with maccabi they lost four in a row but probably you should be angry only with the loss against uh, alba berlin all the other losses against great unix team against real madrid it was two-point game uh, Olympiacos, okay, se- they lost by 17, but Olympiacos is Olympiacos. They're one of the top teams in the EuroLeague. Well, yeah, they they had a lot of away games uh, recently, and now they came back home to play against Kazan. So the expectations were high, of course, and the uh, fans in Del- Tel Aviv, they're very demanding. They do not tolerate losing streaks. Uh, we know that from the past. We see it right now. Um, I would make a, a big deal out of it. They're still... Seven wins, seven losses, number eight in the standings. It's still okay. It's still manageable. But we're hearing rumors now about James Nunnally, um, some conflicts in the team that James Nunnally wants to leave and go back to CBA. He actually, uh, during this podcast, he actually denied, denied all these rumors. All these rumors. Uh, he denied the conflict uh, in the practice. Okay, so let rumors be rumors. But, but who knows? But who knows? obviously yeah. double game week is coming. They're facing Fenerbahce and Anadolu Efes, two great Turkish teams. So if they lose both of these, I would say they're in trouble right now. It's still acceptable where they are, but of course, losing four in a row when you're Maccabi, the fans are gonna react. So this is what happened. 
Oh, uh, via Roy Cohen's report, at, and the, at the end of the game, some of the yellow fans called for the bench boss to be fired when he benched Oz Blazer. Well, okay, okay. I think for basketball fans or for any sports fa fans in any part of the world, you should be careful what you wish for, because Yanis Feropoulos is a good coach. You can always fire the coach, but who are you going to replace him with? And I cannot see a big name right now that Maccabi could sign uh, a coach that could actually do a better job than Sferopoulos is doing. So, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit unfair on, on Mr. Sferopoulos. And by the way, when we were making our regular season predictions... Yeah, uh, which place you put? Uh, I had Maccabi in the playoffs. Actually, I don't remember seven, seventh or eighth. Yeah, I think I, I had him in the playoffs at, at their best. No, sixth for, for so sixth was was Milano for me. So it was either seventh or eighth. But I had him in the playoffs, and I still believe they can 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 make the playoffs. But I would love to see them with the better point guard right now. And Scotty Wilbekin would benefit from having a better point guard next to himself, and. I actually have a trade scenario prepared for them. So, yeah, I, I I actually cheer for Maccabi. It's kind of, I'm not saying I support Maccabi, but I always love the culture in this in this club. The way they, the way they handle the American players, it's a very good city and a very good organization. So I, I wish them were, I wish them well. I hope they will be better than they are right now. What I want to say that they're eighth, in the standings after ruined preseason, yeah. having a almost completely new uh, team, they re really went through a lot of difficult situations, and they're in the playoff race at the moment. Okay, uh, some of the last first uh, round of the regular season games gonna be hard, gonna be decisive for them. But at the same time, they're kind of at these places where they were expected to be. So I, ha I, I, I mean, I've. Maybe it's, it's the problem because I'm too patient and I trust the process. And probably that's what Sharuna Seskiewicz taught us in Lithuania, that we should look for a bigger picture. Because, and, and I, I found that in a lot of situations, even in Moscow, which is not known for a big fan base or for emotional and passionate fans. Yeah. I had an interview with Andrei Vatutin last week. And I also, at the same time, I watched the press conference. What, what was very interesting that... Uh, Sky was on a five-game losing streak uh, in VTB and EuroLeague combined. It was a tough moment with injured players, with all these losses and things like that. And what was interesting that they made a public live press conference. They put half of the roster uh, in the middle of the court, uh, Vatutin, Itudis, uh, and it was a uh, host of the show, of the press conference, and four or five Russian uh, journalists. And for two hours, they were asking questions directed to players, coach, uh, Vatutin. And there were live questions because people on Instagram or on YouTube, they were asking questions. So for two hours, they were discussing uh, things about CSKA in their very difficult uh, period. So a big shout out uh, for um, for the press officer of, of CSKA, uh, Nikolai. Uh, Tsinkevich, uh, who organized this press conference, as as I, I've understood, it was also the idea of uh, Andrei Vatutin to be more open, yeah. not too high in the tough situation. But what I noticed during that press conference that there were a lot of questions 
which were like uh, so uh, why do you trust coach to do this or it's like uh, what needs to happen him to be fired they even asked Vatutin what has to uh, be done for you to step down from the team they were questioning some signings players I mean they were blaming basically everything this is a club that plays in the final four every year and <laughs> more or less no matter how they will play in December in the yeah, end of yeah. the day they will be in the final four so CSKA uh, we see the situation in Maccabi where it's really hard to expect something bigger from from, from these teams there are way more teams we discussed about FS uh, already that fans people in all these countries are super impatient with their teams but I would suggest just trusting the process because well, uh, okay for example in Monaco there was a critical situation where you cannot pr trust the process because there's there is no process there's no process <laughs> First and of all. at the same time there's a huge conflict and it's over uh, you cannot continue like that in all these teams there are a lot of reasons why they're in the some current in current situation like that Maccabi or in preseason CSKA a lot of injuries FS is FS I mean a lot of reasons behind that so you just need to understand all these reasons you have to be patient because you have uh, 34 regular season games and a lot of will change because in the beginning of the year we were talking about Monaco as the playoff team we were uh, underrating Unix and now we see the situation is like that but I'm not I'm here not to be very hyped up about uh, Unix because after 10 games the situation might be very different so trust the process that's my the advice not to overact the Euroleague season is very tough there are a lot of ups and downs not so long ago Maccabi won five games in a row you were not crowning them the best team in Europe at the moment they were blowing out Barcelona at home you were not saying at the moment that wow this Maccabi team is going to final four they're going places you were not saying that they were just winning five in a row it was good but now when they lose four in a row let's not declare them as losers that's There's right. still a lot of games to be played. I think they have a competitive roster. As we talked a lot, uh, this roster is not perfect. Yeah. But it's a good team. Um, All these losses show you the adjustments you can make. Uh, well, one thing, for example, um, I, I love the way Sferopoulos was using James Nunnally in the beginning of the season. But eventually other teams figured out what he's doing with James Nunnally, the way he's using him as a playmaker from the third position. So obviously they prepare the, the scouting report, they prepare for the game and it's it, it gets tougher. It's normal, it's EuroLeague, that's that's how it happens. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this double game week because they're facing Fenerbahce and Anadolu Efes. They need to win at least one of these two games. One is at home, the other one is away. So, yeah. Yeah, so uh, to end this discussion, I will quote Yanis Sferopoulos. Uh, the fans should support us in a bad game too. I do not understand the reaction. I do not like this behavior. We are Maccabi and we are not only happy when we win. Do teams not lose games? And there was a, also a coach. Oh, yeah. When your child fails at something, do you beat him? So, yeah. When we defeat Bar Barcelona, everyone is happy and supportive of us. But the team needs the fans the most while a bad stretch is occurring. So He's right. He's, he's completely right. And, right they, because and, and as I said, they were playing three games away from home, which they lost. And in Madrid, they were in a good position to win. It w they were a little in bit Moscow, unlucky. the same, yeah. Um, they could have been at least 9-5 yeah, yeah. at this moment of okay, the season. Okay, I, I, I can understand the frustrations when you lose against Alba or when you lose against Olympiacos in the way they did uh, by a double-digit 
uh, difference, but maybe fans are also not used that Unix. Uh, Unix is a great team at the moment. The way how Mario Hezonia was killing them in the fourth quarter, he was actually this, the decisive guy on that 9-0 run in the beginning of the fourth quarter. Uh, he scored seven of, of nine points. Lorenzo Brown was crazy with 26 points. They won the fourth quarter. Lorenzo, Lorenzo Brown is someone that Maccabi is actually craving for right now. A guy like Lorenzo Brown would change everything for them. A true floor general with a big body, athletic, good defender, very smart player, experienced player. So if Maccabi had Lorenzo Brown right now, instead of, let's say, Keenan Evans and Cameron Taylor, they would be a lot So that's the trade you're offering? No, no, there's no. no way. When you consider trades, yeah. you need to make sense for... Of course, both teams, not one side. That's, that's of, what we try to do. Of course, Lorenzo Brown for Maccabi, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be great. But Unix, I think they love having Lorenzo Brown right now. Uh, yeah, pretty much it about Maccabi, right? Yeah, and I just wanted. Yeah, to I ju yeah, I just wanted to sum okay. up that. Just like players like to say that basketball is a game of runs. I would say that it's the same with the regular season. Regular season is kind of also the game, uh, the format of runs. So you just have to be patient. Yeah, and I just wanted to mention uh, the game that happened in St. Petersburg. It was Zenit against Fenerbahce. And Fenerbahce with injuries, with struggles, with a very short rotation. And they managed to come up with the win. And it was such an impressive first half performance from Jan Vesely. Jan Vesely was playing like Mirotic, actually. He made two three-pointers. He made some mid-range jumpers. He was doing everything. He scored 22 points. I think in the first quarter, at in, in some moment, it, they were like 15, 16, the scoreline, and all 15 points were scored by Jan Vesely for, for Fenerbahce. It was for really impressive. Went and, crazy. And, and then the halftime interview where the journalist <laughs> asked, Sasha Georgievich, um, Jan Vesely scored 22 out of 41 points for you. Is this a problem? And and Sasha and Georgievich is like, for us? No, it's not a problem. I hope he scores 22 more in the second half. <laughs> but <laughs> that was epic. Yeah. Interview. And in the second half, it was actually the Colos and Henry's game. So maybe that was a question to Xavi Pascal. No. I, I don't think it should have been a question for anyone. <laughs> To be honest, I mean, you you can ask about individual performances after the game, right? If you win the game and a player has a magnificent performance, like hitting nine free pointers or or his career night, then you can ask about it. But in the middle of the game, somebody had twenty two points or thirty points, it doesn't matter. The, the coaches do not care about this. So uh, it's it's just a stupid question, I would say. But yeah, in the second half, I think that really none of the Colo took over the game. Pierre Henry also made some big plays. Uh, Dyshawn Pierre in the fourth quarter was a guy that responded to everything that Mindogas Kuzminskas did on the other side of the court. Because Kuzminskas, once again, is proving that he can play for Chavi Pasquale. He had another good game where they were feeding him in the post. Uh, he was playing back to the basket and also hitting spot-up shots, which was very important in some situations. So Zenit, they were actually in a position to win this game. But credit goes to Fenerbahce that this time they didn't break in the end of the game. They made smart plays. They kept their lead. Nando De Colo was a true leader on, on the floor. And this was a very important victory for them. 
they had injuries, they faced a lot of difficulties, but once again, they proved, I think, to everybody that the players did not lose trust in their coach. They do not feel dramatic about the standings. They are just trying to play their best basketball and get wins, and this is what they did here in St. Petersburg. So... And uh, it's a very important one for Fenerbahce. Yeah, and they face Maccabi, Basconia, and as well at the end of the first uh, regular season round. So they have a good chance to finish the first part of the season on a high note. Of, of because course, neither of these teams uh, produce a good basketball at the moment. But of course, it's 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 still a problem. Um, I believe that Fenerbahce they're using their budget right now to save their star players, but there's not much left to invest in the depth of the uh -huh. roster, and the roster is not very deep. So right now, when you saw them playing without uh, Shayok, without... Uh, who else was absent? Bartel, of course, and, and another player, I believe, was absent from this game. Uh, which looks to his bench, hmm. and probably he's not really sure who he, who he needs to play because no, Gudrich was not playing. Yeah, Gudrich was a not huge playing. Absence, yeah. yeah, so that's a huge absence. So, like I said, Djordjevic needs to make substitutions. He needs to figure out how to manage the game. Uh, so he's trying to bring the Colo off the bench so he could have a better balance with his second lineup. But when you see players like Sheikh Muzhazer, Metechan Birsen getting big minutes or Tarik Biberovic. It's difficult because on, on offense they do not bring much. You can only demand them energy on from, from them energy on the defensive end. But in this game, they managed with a short rotation to beat Zenit, to beat a very well coached team. And Zenit right now where they are. Number seven, right? Eight wins, yeah. six six losses. I have a question for you uh, about Jan Vesely. Okay. Amazing performance. By the way, amazing season he's having right now. Actually, it's a career high, uh, career high year for him. 14.4 points per game on 62 two-point uh, shooting. And he made three out of seven threes, uh, six rebounds per game. His free throw shooting is Two improved. assists, yeah, 76%. Three or four percent. years ago, Jan Vesely was a player that uh, other teams were hacking. I remember the EuroLeague final uh, with Skavel where Jan Vesely missed like eight free throws or something like that. But right now he became consistent and he's hitting those. Yeah, he's a great example. He was working a lot on it. Mm. And for example, 10 years ago in Partizan, he was uh, making 44% of free, uh, free, he, free he, throws. He was a small forward. Do you believe he, that? <laughs> no. When he played in Partizan, he was I a small forward. I can see him playing forward. a small forward in Barcelona you know, on a big lineup. <laughs> but now we're discussing whether he's a four or five. And most people I talk to, everybody agrees that he's better playing at center position. Yeah. And back in the days, he was a small forward, jumping high. Can you imagine the roster with uh, Jan Vesel is a small forward? Joffrey Laverne was a power forward on that team. The spacing would be horrible. Yeah. The team would suffer. Who, who, who else was playing on that roster? I don't remember, but they had some... Duverioglu at center. <laughs> or Alex Maric at the time. So, Vesely, when he came back to Europe in, in Fenerbahce the first year, 2014-15, he was making 49% four of three-pointers. The next year, 45, 2016-17, uh, 55, and then uh, the numbers were much better, starting from 70, then to 79, and he's now 
from 75 to 76 uh, free throw <coughs> percent shooter, which so, is great for a center. So what's your question? Yeah, my question is that um, Vesely is uh, on a career higher season. He's also on an expiring contract, and he turns to 32 this April. So my question is, probably you're in favor of extending the contract with Yannis Vesely if you were Mauricio Gerardini. But at the same time, for what price you're ex- ex- uh, extending the contract? Well, again, you're investing mof- most of your budget into the Colo and Vesely, and you trust that these players are going to win games for you. But I think in this EuroLeague, uh, you need a deep roster, actually. And teams with deep roster, they have an advantage. So I don't know. Maybe it's better to distribute the money building a team with a deeper bench. But Jan Vesely is a star player, so obviously you want to keep your star players. Yeah, if he, he feels it like at home. Yeah, uh, and if, if he is happy in Fenerbahce, he's super happy. I would expect him to stay because Jan Vesely, as a free agent, every team would want mm-hmm. him. It's, it's obvious every team would want him he's he's a winning player he's a game changer um, he's the best pick and roll partnership you can get for any point guard in this league for example I don't know Anadolu FS going for Jan Vesely oh, can, Barcelona can you imagine Milan, them? I mean any team any team any coach but I would like to him to stay in, in Fenerbahce. Me too. He's a franchise player. If, if it's possible, I mean, a like two or three year contract extension because signing for four or five years could be risky. You never know if a player like this gets older, gets 36 or 37 years old, he might have some struggles. He had injuries actually mm. in the recent years. He had the like nagging ankle injuries, uh, which is why he couldn't help the team in the in the playoffs last oh, season yeah. against Seska. And uh, year before in the final four, also, that's also a huge point, right? Yeah, because he's a star. He's a best paid player of your team. He's also fourth best paid player in in, in Euroleague in general. Uh, his salary is around two point six seven million euros per year, which is crazy money. And when you miss your star player. The crucial moment of the season, it's it's tough. I mean, everyone. I think everyone wants to have Jan Vesely uh, in in Fenerbahce, but the price is question uh, is questionable. I'm, I'm maybe I, in in Gerardini's situation, I would pay him something like one point five million euros. I think it will be reasonable if he price. Accepts. But then I, I would offer three year contract. Okay, so you have a guaranteed three years, which is four point five million euro, reasonable money, at the place where you feel like home, yeah, the place where you know everything, where you're super respected. So that would be a reasonable offer, I guess. I actually wanted to say that his shooting mechanics are good, and uh, I would like to see him taking more jump shots. To be honest, because he, if he's being played in a power forward position with Devin Booker. Uh, you, you kind of need him to be dangerous further from the basket, and his shooting mechanics are good. He he hit those two three pointers here against Zenit. He felt better, so you could see that he wanted to tr- 
try a little bit more. Uh, I don't know if Alexander Georgievich agrees with me. <laughs> Maybe not. But yeah. Yeah, Jan Vesely is a very exciting player to watch for sure. Yeah, you're a really legend. So let's go with our trade scenarios, yep. right? Yep. You have like five or six trade scenarios. I, what was what is interesting that we try to make, as you already mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, to try we try to make great scenarios where all the teams would be happy. Uh, at first, I was super excited. I was doing my first trade, which involved maybe four or five teams, and for me, it was super exciting. But then I tried to make more trades, and it was so hard to please everybody because if you take an important piece for one team, that team is already missing that piece, that uh, specific situation, specific uh, position or, or player. So it was really hard unless you try to involve uh, as many teams as possible. But it was super hard, but at the same time, it was really interesting to make all these scenarios. Well, I think I will, I will have four four ideas that I would like to discuss. Some of them are elite players switching places. Some of them are actually role players that, uh, in my opinion, would make sense. And uh, I don't know. Do you want to start from role players or do you want to no, go ahead and try, talk about let's the, start from the elite? Uh, right, so, right. So I have a trade for um, Anadolu Efes and Ceska they, they could make. Okay. And... Um, I think Ceska still could do with some star power in their um, point guard and shooting guard positions. Mm. Alexis Schwed right now is playing good basketball, but still you're looking at this team and thinking whether it's enough. Uh, Schwed, uh, Hackett, Gregonis, and Lundberg. And uh, Anadol Efes, what they need. Now when they played games without Chris Singleton, you could see they really need a power forward. And uh, Adrian Mormon is a good player, but he's not a player that should be covering 37 minutes per game in a EuroLeague match. So my idea is this. Um, Shane Larkin, he's a superstar player in the oh, EuroLeague. Oh, you're trading Shane, Shane Larkin? I'm trading oh, Shane wow. Larkin. He's wow. a superstar player in the EuroLeague. Anadolu Efes have enough potential with Mitic, Bobois, Simon, and all the other guys to create plays. And Vasa Mitic is the MVP. He's, he, he's a true leader. So Shane Larkin goes to Moscow and Anadolov has get two players. Of course, for Shane Larkin, you have to get they two get players. They get Toko Shengelia, ah, okay. a dominant power forward. And in order to cover for Shane Larkin's position, they get Ife Lundberg, who is... Not a superstar, but in this team for Ergin Ataman, Ife Lundberg could actually be okay. He could actually use his talent uh, maybe even more on offense. So Anadolefes get a huge boost in the power forward position. Actually, you can play Shingeli as a five in some cases. Uh, it would be an improvement, definitely, because from what I'm seeing recently, they're suffering in the paint. They're suffering a lot. And if Lundberg is just a good, solid role player who can cover some minutes. And of course, the Scott then gets Shane Larkin, which changes this, uh, their offensive system. They have a new superstar. Um, and I can see Shane Larkin playing in, in, in this team. And in terms of Shingelia's position, you would be fine with Johannes Voigtman being there. You can always switch Vibron uh, to the fourth position. Kurbanov you have fourth. some options like Kurbanov and Antonov and even Bolomboy in, in, in yeah. some situations. So, 
I think you could manage it. That's a better trade for CSKA. Mm, sincerely. Uh, I'm not so sure because FS was always driven by their guards and uh, Moorman, great spot-up shooter, Singleton, they never need points uh, from from his side. They used bigs as a good rollers uh, in some situations, uh, pick and pop players. And I'm not so sure if their backcourt will be elite enough uh, to win the EuroLeague. come on. No, Mitic, no questions about Mitic, but if Bobua or Lundberg are ready to step up in Larkin's shoes and to be at least close to his level, I think that's very important piece. Well, Boba as a scorer and as a shooter, he's proving that this season that he's still in the elite level and Kronoslav yeah, He was Sim- always elite, but Kronoslav Simon, he can still play. My point is that they have enough and they just need uh, refreshments. In yeah, talking about in their other backcourt, positions. I mean, they're amazing. They would have Mitic, Bobua, uh, Lundberg and Elijah Brand. And Simon. Oh, and Simon, yeah. Okay, Simon can play as a small forward. But he's a playmaker. He's a ball handler, let's yeah. say. Yeah, and they, they, us- they like uh, Ataman tends to use free ball handlers on the, on the court. But yeah, I think that Ceska uh, would benefit, benefit more, more from, from that. Maybe trade. so, maybe so. It just seemed... But th- that would be Sens- a block it would buster. It just trade. seemed sensible to me because both teams would improve mm. in the positions they need to. Yeah, d- it kind of meet, meets their demands. Okay, I tried to be... Uh, I thought that I had some uh, brave trades, but nah. <laughs> Compared to yours, it's, 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 it's more conservative. But I tried to make a three-team trade with Real Madrid, Monaco, and Milan. So in my trade... Real Madrid gets Mike James since... Uh, okay, that trade was before Mitrovic uh, okay. was fired because I thought that if their front office is all in for Mitrovic, it means they might make some roster changes. And I saw Mike James two times on the sidelines having some discussions with Zvezdan Mitrovic and it didn't good, uh, look good. And we already heard rumors about losing the locker room of the team. So I thought that Mike James could be moved under these conditions. And I would love to see Mike James move to Real Madrid because I think that Barcelona game showed once again that Real Madrid are not ready um, at, at first to beat Barcelona. For example, in my eyes, Barcelona started to dominate their rivalry uh, from the last year. In most of their games, Barcelona was con- controlling uh, everything. Even this year, they lost the Copa del Rey, right? Super Cup. Uh, Super Cup. It was yeah. Sorry, they had a big lead. Uh, Barcelona controlled the game, and I would say Barca lost the game. Not Real Madrid won it. And I, I can see the tendency of Barcelona taking over this rivalry. And I need some. I I want Real Madrid to be more nasty with their backcourt players because I think that. Nigel Williams Gas he didn't meet my expectations yet and I'm not so sure if he's the, the right player for them um, the same um, Thomas Hertel we knew what he's bringing to this team but he's not a main guy on that squad and he won't be so I believe that maybe Mike James causes some troubles but in a winning team and at the same time with a coach who's not as demanding as, for example, Dimitri Situdis was, Pablo Lasso is a player's coach. And I think that it, that kind of environment, Mike James uh, would be okay 
in the locker room. And I think that he brings what Real Madrid needs on the court. So my trade involves Real Madrid, Monaco and Milan. And Real Madrid gets Mike James, Will Thomas, who is not as efficient in Monaco as we were used to. And I don't see Will Thomas feeling happy over there. And he he changed a bit before. Um, Will Thomas, we saw and I knew before, he was a bit different when he is right now, starting from his Unix uh, chapter, which went really bad. So Real Madrid gets Mike James and Will Thomas from Monaco. Monaco gets Nigel Williams-Gas, either Anthony Randall for Trey Tompkins. Also, two Milano players, uh, Troy Daniels and Jerry and Grant. And Milan gets Dwayne Bacon. They need somebody, some shooting guard who could make some shots, uh, spot-ups, and would be more confident than we, we see Troy Daniel is right now. They also get uh, Paris Lee, uh, a good defender, uh, which could cover either Jerry and Grant. Troy Daniel is not a very good defender. So that that's my trade right. for all these teams. Milan <laughs> is kind of, you know, safe. Um, it's a low-risk move uh, for them. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with one thing for sure that trading uh, Trey Tompkins or Anton Randolph would really make sense because uh, when they both get back, you have Gershonia Busselle yeah. and you don't really need to have free power forwards. Then you start thinking that maybe Randolph needs to start playing as a small forward. Mm. Uh, so probably this could make sense. Mike James in Madrid. <laughs> well, I could see that working. Mm. Madrid should be a city where he... He could imagine himself. We remember him saying that he wouldn't want to go back to Basconia because playing in a Basque uh. c- county is, well, it's always raining. It's, it's boring. There's, there's nothing, nothing to, to do, do in this yeah. city. No so nightclubs. Madrid is different. Mm. But in terms of Milano, I don't know if Messina needs Paris Lee and Dwayne Bacon, to be honest, especially Dwayne Bacon. I, I, I'm seeing Dwayne Bacon here in this Monaco team. He seems to me like somebody that didn't realize up to this point what EuroLeague is and what the EuroLeague co- coaches want. He just seems like a typical player coming from the NBA who uh-huh. is thinking that he's well, he's better than everyone here in Europe, and so he's just gonna dominate games and score a lot of points and put great stats on the on the sheet. I, I agree, but I just think that great coaches like Messina, they 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 can adjust them. They can help them to make that transition uh, better. Uh, for example, to give them a specific role, very specific role, and I think that Bacon would fit that role. And again, this trade was made, let's say it was made before news about Mitrovic, and uh, I heard mm-hmm. that mm, he had some conflicts with Mitrovic, so it was logical that in any scenario, Bacon has to move. Okay. Right, I actually have a trade as well involving Milano. And it's a trade between them and Maccabi. Okay. In my eyes, uh, Milano, they are actually struggling with rebounds. They have some problems rebounding the basket and, and rebounding the ball. And they are 15th right now uh, in rebounds. And they could use... a better rebounder, I believe, in their squad. And Maccabi, obviously, they could use a point guard. So my idea is this. Um, Maccabi give away a lot Jalen Reynolds and James Nunnally mm-hmm. 
very important pieces of the team. Uh, well, if the rumors are right about mm. James Nunnally not being happy and having some sort of a conflict that could make sense then. Actually, Nunnally played in Milan a couple of years ago, so he knows the city. Um, and Jalen Reynolds is a good rebounder, a good center to have when your other center is Kyle Hines. Uh, I could see that as an improvement for Milano. However, Ettore Messina would have to give away Malcolm Delaney. For me, he would be a perfect fit at point guard position in Tel Aviv. Malcolm Delaney is a good defender. He's a great playmaker. He can be a scorer when he needs to. Uh, I could see him playing together with Scotty Wilbekin. Uh, this could be a good partnership, in my opinion. Both are very experienced veteran players. And at the same time, with Malcolm Delaney, Maccabi, in order to still have a center, a backup for Ante Zizic, would get Caleb Tarchevsky, who's limited, but he can play for 10 or 12 minutes, some quality basketball in the paint. And they would also get Troy Daniels, mm -hmm. who is a misfit in Milan, but he's not necessarily a bad player. So in this case, I would see Maccabi releasing Cameron Taylor, who is maybe not good enough, mm -hmm. and Troy Daniels taking his place. So Maccabi would get a point guard, Milano would get a good center, and it would get James Nunnally. I'm really sure that Messina would find a place for a player like Nunnally in, in his team. So this is my idea. Yeah, Nunnally would be great for a spot-up shooter uh, role. He can also defend and in the right place and in the right situation. And another experienced be really player good. because in, in, in Milan, what Torre Messina prefers is experienced guys, players who know the EuroLeague, who have a lot of experience. So James Nunnally is one of those guys. He he was with Fenerbahce. He, he's a champion. He's just a great player. I'm just not so sure about the defense of your back, of Maccabi backcourt players. Uh, Delaney. And Delaney Lubekin. is a good defender. He is an uh, irritating defender, let's say. He can push you really, really hard, but at the same time, don't you think that they're too small on your backcourt? No. Because when I have Wilbekin, I would like to have, I would like to see a strong, big body next to him. And a, let's say pass first playmaker. So I was thinking how But of I course, that's uh, one of a lot of options. I was thinking how I could bring Daniel Hackett to Maccabi, oh, but yeah. I didn't come up with a good trade scenario. But Malcolm Delaney is uh, 191 centimeters so he's not a short guard he's a i wouldn't say a tall point guard but he's a decent mm. in this case and um he's a good defender in my eyes the only problem with malcolm delaney is that he has been injury prone in the last couple of years but again tarchevsky would cover some minutes troy daniels who knows? Troy Daniels he, would be he, a great he, fit. He might actually prove in Maccabi that he's a better player than he seems to be right now. So, Yeah, and especially if rumors about Nunnally are real, about him having some confrontations in the, in the locker room or in the practice, as it was reported in Israeli media, I would even see the trade just between two players, like Nunnally to Milan and Troy Daniels uh, to Maccabi. Also, ah, we can add uh, somebody else. Yeah, you wouldn't have to add somebody else because Nunnally is a lot... Yeah, yeah. It's a lot more at, quality at now than, he's, than yeah, Daniels. way more prepared for yeah, elite yeah. level than Troy Daniels. Yeah. Un but unless, you know, as I said, if there is... There are some conflicts, at the same time, it's still better than just, you know, to, to release the player and you not get, get anything. You get. I, I do believe, actually, that Malcolm Delaney would change a lot for Maccabi. A true point guard, very experienced player, very smart player. 
okay, my... In, I'm not so sure about this trade, actually, because I feel that I might make this trade in favor of Fenerbahce. We were talking about shooters they need. Yeah. And uh, I've tried... I found a scenario how to get Deshaun Thomas at four and James Nunley at the third position to Fener. Bayern gets uh, three three team. It's a three team trade: Maccabi, Bayern, and Fener. So Fener gets Deshaun Thomas from Bayern and Nunley from Maccabi. Bayern gets all good Jalen Reynolds at five, Aquila Polonara at four, Italian connection with Trinchieri, and Danilo Bartel who might be used in, in local championship to win the uh, German championship finally after after all these years. But I feel bad for Maccabi because um, I have Augustin Rubit, which I even feel that he might be a better fit uh, than Reynolds in terms of be- being a little bit better defender on the switch, a little bit defender in terms of reading the game, and also he can spread the floor. But I also need to add Deshaun Pierre and Mariel Shayok on, on Maccabi roster. And there are two things I'm concerned. If Fener are not losing too much bodies, you mentioned the short bench, and they're losing how many? Four. Okay, Danilo Bartel is not getting playing time, but they also uh, have Polonara, Deshaun Pierre, Mariel Shayok out. So four players, three active players, I would say. And um, Maccabi, if Rubit Pierre and Sheok are enough for, I would say Reynolds and Nunnally was based on the rumors uh, which were on yeah. media, which means that player might might lead the team for nothing. How do you feel about that? Well, actually, I have a trade myself that brings Deshaun Thomas yeah. to Fenerbahce. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, but my trade is more simple: uh, Bayern giving away Deshaun Thomas and getting Danilo Bartel and Mariel Sheok. Oh. So it's two okay. for one. Uh, Danilo Bartel is a former captain of Bayern Munich. For the Bavarians, he's one of their own, so it's it's an easy choice. But uh, Mariel Sheok, you know, Andrea Trinchieri has a, a good history with these players that were misfits in other teams. And uh, for Trinchieri, guys like Baldwin, Reynolds, and there are examples from his Bamberg days, they were so good. And I believe a player like Mariel Sheak, he might turn out to be very good in, in Munich because he has talent, he has some skills. He has potential. He has some potential. You're just looking at him in Fenerbahce and thinking, this is not what they need. They need shooters. Sheak is not a shooter. Whether he's a shooting guard or a small forward, it's not mm-hmm. s- certain. And I think Andrea Trinkieri could figure it out. And having Danilo Bartel, well, He's just a German player. He could play as a power forward and uh, stretch the floor a little bit. Deshaun Thomas, of course, he works He works well for Bayern. But thinking about their shooting potential, they also brought Casey Rivers recently. Mm-hmm. They have Darren Hilliard. They have, he's injured, he, so it's kind of a replacement. Right now he's injured, yeah, yeah but thinking if, 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 if they will be playing together, you have these left-handed shooters, you, you have some other good good players in like Corey Walden as your main point guard. And it could make sense, in my opinion. And Deshaun Thomas for Fenerbahce, it's very obvious. It would be an ideal. He, he plays as a stretch four. You place Vesely more often as a center. 
If you need a big lineup, you can actually try Deshaun Thomas as a small forward in some situations, so it would be a good uh, improvement, I think, for Djordjevic's team. Yeah. By the way, I have a question for you about yeah. Mike James. Uh, it's not even a halfway of the season, and we saw two situations between Mike James and the head coach. Now the head coach is fired, Zvezdan Mitrovic. And if, for example... Um, Monaco fails to make the playoffs. They are in mediocre situation. Mike James is having the season like he has right now. We have to be honest, it's not a super season he's having uh, at the moment. We expected a bit more because we know he can do a bit more. Maybe he needs some time, but okay. Uh, let, let, let's think this way that it will finish like it is right now. Do you think that... How many EuroLeague destinations do you see for Mike James, for a player like him? Panathinaikos. It's always an option. <laughs> so that's what I see. But it's one of the last destinations, probably, right? It's hard to imagine elite playoff teams uh, taking risks with Mike James. No, 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 no. It's, it's of course, if Unix uh, are in the Euroleague, I can obviously see Mike James landing over there. But then my question is that how many years uh, he has in his tank in the Euroleague well, if, if he continues if, like that. If Mike James is actually as picky as he says he is, he will not go to Kazan. Oh, yeah. yeah so, yeah. Panathinaikos, I could see that. Mm, well, they could gamble. They are in a position where they have Maccabi. nothing to lose. Maybe Maccabi. Finish right, the project right. with Scott Wilbekin. Right, it's a possibility. Y- y- you know, when it takes Trinkieri... Uh, and when I tried to make all these trade scenarios, I took all the, let's say, tough personalities like Wade Baldwin, uh, like Mike James, even Nunnally, again, uh, again, based on all these rumors. I thought that Trinkieri is the last coach who can uh, control them and who can who could use the, all the potential uh, they have, despite all the uh, rumors and information about their character and their influence uh, for the locker room. So I would also imagine Mike James uh, playing for Andrea Trinkieri. I would imagine Mike James playing for Andrea Trinkieri, but not in Germany. So it's just why, why is it like that? Because they cannot offer. I don't uh, think they can offer. Salary. That's that one much money. That's one thing. Another thing. Munich is a great city, uh, one of the richest cities in the world. But it's not so sexy for you. I don't know, man. I'm because I see a I'm doubt th- in your I'm eyes. I'm thinking about. Climate doesn't matter to Mike James. Well, he played yeah. in Moscow. Maybe he doesn't. I think he's too expensive for Bayern Munich. He's too lucrative for them. And it's not really Bayern's type of player. Not what they're going for usually in the market. But who knows? Yeah. Okay. I could see, definitely, I could see Andrea Trinkieri handling him and managing him. Do you have any other ideas? Uh, I have a short trade before uh, my Jalgiris trade. Uh, oh, we have a Jalgiris trade. Nice. Yeah. Uh, we need to do some content for our Lithuanian fans. Okay, man. Uh, Whatever you say. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just wanted to have your confirmation. What do you think if it's not too much for Tseska to give Ife Lundberg and Johannes Feutmann for Peria Henry? No, it's too much. It's too much, right? It's too much. I mean, Pierre Henry is a good point guard, but he has his flaws, I would say. Mm-hmm. And uh, Foytman is an ideal stretch forward. For example, for it before this. this season, I would say, okay, l- let's do this. 
But right now, watching him going through difficult things in Fenerbahce, I'm not so sure about Peri Henry as your main fl- I mean, I mean, floor general as a Euroleague championship f- team. It's it's another thing for me. It's just that for it to the system, he needs to have a power forward that can shoot the ball. And Foytman is an ideal player for mm. this system. And of course, all you can always sign somebody. And as we that's, mentioned, that's right. Clyburn, Antonov, uh, you have Shingelia. No, but uh, but I wouldn't want mm. to give up Foytman and Lundberg for Henry because, well, you have Hackett. Is Hackett really that far away from Pierre Henry's level? I don't think so, man. He's, he's I also a, thought about it. He's a proven player. He's an experienced veteran. And you're not necessarily getting points from him every single game but you're getting effort you're getting smart plays you're getting physicality and when you see how Alexei Shved is playing at the moment for example the game he had in in Konas it's it's not so bad really mm-hmm. so in in my in my idea Saska, something bigger Saska should go for somebody if it's a player like Shane Larkin yeah. or Kevin Pangos a complete uh-huh. game changer Actually, for Seska right now, the most important thing is that Milutinov is, is once again the real Milutinov. He's not there yet, of course. Very close. Uh, in terms of numbers, at least. Maybe the shape yeah. needs to get better, but you saw in Jalgiris Arena how was he how he was dominating on the offensive boards. This mm. is what he does. This is what they need from him. Yeah. Vatutin even told that uh, Milutinov is still only 60% of, of himself. So you can imagine how much potential is, is still left he on the table. He can still add 40%. Nice. And probably they will part ways with Kenneth Farid, I imagine. Yeah, it seems like. He's not even registered for, yeah. for games right now when and they have the full roster. Contract, so yeah. Do you sense. think that Kenneth Farid will extend his European journey? We have Monaco. They're always ready to give some opportunities. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I I think that he might find some place. Onyx, you never know. They like to, to give all these opportunities for the right. XNBA players. Right, so I have a final trade. It, I mean, it's hard to judge Kenneth Farid or any other player because in a different team, in a different situation, maybe yeah. we, could, we, we would see different... Um, case of Kenneth Farid. So since you mentioned versions. since you mentioned Unix, um, I have a trade. I have two teams switching role players. Uh, okay. In positions where I think they would benefit more. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been saying uh, in in a couple of podcasts before that, in my opinion, Unix could do with another center, and I was thinking about undersized centers that could uh, fit in the switch all defense and. Um, and player that could take off some load from John Brown, who has been playing extended minutes since Voronsevich's injury, and he's playing in the fourth as well as in the fifth position. And I see a player that is um, um, kind of stuck in his team right now. It's Hassan Martin from Olympiakos. Hassan mm-hmm. Martin last season was good. Then he got injured. Now this year he's not looking like himself. Maybe it has something to do with... Uh, Coach Barzokas trusting Mustafa Fall to play big minutes. He's a huge center, and it works for, for Olympiakos so far. They have some other options, some players they can move to the fifth position, so it wouldn't hurt for them to give away Hassan Martin at the moment, in my opinion. And for Unix, it could be very good. They have Tony Jekiri, they have a different type of center, Hassan Martin. Uh, they don't need to change the defensive system, 
adding a player like this. But what can they give to Olympiacos? Mm -hmm. Olympiacos, in my opinion, they could do with another shooter. A good spot-up shooter, somebody who can make some shots in the game when opportunities are created for him. And, well, this might sound strange, but it's OJ Mayo. OJ mm. Mayo had some good performances. Of course, there's no consistency whatsoever. For Runix to give away OJ Mayo, I mean, come on. They have Brown, Cannon, Hazonia. They are stacked in, in these positions. And for Olympiacos, who knows? He might turn out to be a good role player, uh, a shooter. He's shooting 41% from three-point range so far this season. Why not? So this is my idea of two teams changing role players. Hassan Martin for Ajumi. Yeah, Ajumi, it's right? just plain and simple. Hassan Martin for OJ Mayo. And who do you have at center in Olympiacos then? Well, Fall, obviously, mm. the main guy. Yeah, what, what's the, who's the backup? Livio, Jean-Charles can play at five. Uh, they signed Quincy AC, who's not getting minutes mm. so far, but... He might get when he will be in shape. He might, yeah. He can play as a mm. four and as a five as well. So there are more than enough options, I think, for Olympiacos. Yeah, the problem is that I expected more from Hassan uh, Martin. I thought that he will be much better, but he kind of... He was good yeah, before, was the, really good. before the That's injury. the problem. These expectations were based on, I mean, real arguments and his previous experience, so I have no idea what The way he started there. last season, people were saying, like... He was he, he was next Kyle Hines. Yeah, he was the new Kyle Hines. Yeah, so that's it for me. Yeah, okay. So... My trade, which also involves Zagreb, but I will need help for this one because I, I feel bad about one team. Uh, I have a... Mm, let, let me count. Uh, it's a four-team trade. Oh okay, God, <laughs> you get this. Uh, you're making this so yeah. complicated. <laughs> um, it's Zagreb, FS, uh, Maccabi, and Aswell. And it all started... With the scenario where I wanted a good ball handler for Jalgiris, and I wanted to ship away Joffrey Laverne, and I thought that it's hard to get a good ball handler. Uh, it's hard to take out a good ball handler for any of your team, but FS has enough uh, ball handlers, and Elijah Brand uh, was not playing a lot uh, recently, so this is my scenario. Uh, First of all, I don't remember why I include Aswell, but anyway, I, I sent Geoffrey Laverne to his home, to Villa, to France, uh, and for Aswell, Villarban, it will be a huge upgrade looking at a French championship. We have a local, great local player, another star. Who knows? Maybe he will be next to uh, Yabusele, Ertel, or any of our French players uh, who stepped up uh, after that uh, and they jumped to the great clubs like Real Madrid. Then, for Jargiris, uh, I take Costas Antetokounmpo because I send... I have to offer something uh, to get Elijah Brand to and to meet other team's expectations. I send Josh Nebo to Maccabi uh, because Jalen Reynolds is going to FS. And he's the guy who which uh, FS needs. We were talking about the center they need. Fans are demanding all these Twitter accounts. They're saying, oh, we need a center. So Jalen Reynolds is that center for FS, and FS are sending Elijah Brand to Jargiris. So, in the end, Aswell gets Geoffrey Laverne, Jargiris gets Costa Santa Tacumbo and Elijah Brand, Maccabi gets 
Josh Nebo, who might fit a bit better as a defender next to Ante Zizic. Uh, FS gets Jalen Reynolds. And that's my last question. The, the main thing I'm uh, I'm concerned, what should I send to Maccabi to make this deal happen? Because I'm not so sure if they're good with Josh Nebo. So I would give them everybody from Niels Gifai to Ty Webbs, they're half of Jalgiris roster. <laughs> but I'm not so sure if that helps, if that helps the uh, deal. But I see that clicking if I would find another available piece for Maccabi. Well, if I was in the board of Jalgiris uh, directors, uh, I would veto that trade, to be honest. Dang. Why? Because bringing Elijah Bryant does not make Jalgiris a winning team. They are still a losing team either way. And let's not None take away... So, le so let's not take away from Jalgiris fans maybe the only positive thing about the season. The highlights of Josh Nebo. Let them enjoy these monstrous monster dunks That's for the rest of the Costa year. That's why But come on! What a name! Costa what a name! But he doesn't make plays like Josh Nebo does. He will, because he will get enough playing time next to Blažević. Nah, let's let's just keep it the way it is with, with, with Josh Nebo. At least that's something. I mean, even when they... I just knew that if Josh Nebo was guaranteed for like two or three years, I'm, I, there's no way he's untouchable in my team. But, no, but I, I mean, kind of feel that he will leave Jalgiris despite his one plus one deal. If I'm if I'm correct, even when they are losing games, for example against Saska, he's he's still making these. Let me dunks give and, some and, hope to Jalgiris fans, blocks. man. <laughs> but come on, <laughs> Elijah <just> Bryant, <laughs> he's good. He's good. He, he would be the best backcourt player for Jalgiris. Sadly, yeah, yeah but that's the case. But that's I mean, the come case. on. <laughs> I mean. I actually tried to come up with some trade scenarios involving Jalgiris, oh. but for me it was really impossible. I don't know how they can improve other teams and yeah. what can they get, which would be so logical. Laverne was my only bait, yeah. especially for French teams. Elite players are not going to Konas. That's, that's my James is not going to Konas. So Jalgiris will still have to rebuild their roster completely after the season. And whatever happens now, whether they're 17th or 18th, actually I don't see a difference i tried so much now nah, man i appreciate the I effort so much and i appreciate the efforts it. i just i just don't agree <laughs> that josh okay. nebo should go yeah just let the season away what do you have left no it's, that's it for me actually okay. four main trade scenarios i wanted to mention others i had in my mind are not so serious so uh, i will keep them maybe for the next time if we get back to this topic at some point actually i would like to hear our listeners and viewers opinion yeah. uh, on their trade scenarios maybe we'll, we are missing something and you also see some fascinating crazy scenarios for elite uh, team players and teams included so feel free to share your yeah. all your scenarios in the comments so uh, below the video i actually have a question for you now Okay. Since we were talking about Jalgiris, would you like to see Yanis okay. Timo in Jalgiris? I also thought about Wade Baldwin. Can you imagine Wade Baldwin? Uh, but I'm thinking about more realistic players. Yanis Timo, uh, he will bring fans from Latvia, right? That's how Jalgiris uh, front office would look like. Would look at it. It, it would be an, an entertaining signing, right? Very entertaining. Very entertaining. He has a lot of followers on Instagram, so maybe marketing-wise, it would be also right. a good decision. Right. A lot of fans, 
from Latvia coming to Lithuania to watch Strelnex and Tima killing all their EuroLeague opponents. Yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. So deal. you would like to see that happen. Let's bring Adris Biedrins, uh, Andris Biedrins from his retirement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, come on. Where's Kristaps Walters? <laughs> Sandis. Walters, Christophs, yeah. Legendary Latvian players that never lived up to their potential. Well, Yanis Timo had a great time. Well, he is still having a great time, yeah, yeah. I believe. You'll <laughs> find the team. Doesn't necessarily mean he's winning basketball games while having a great time. <laughs> Why Gitis is rushing us? Wants us to finish the pod. But anyway, yeah. to sum it up, uh, thanks a lot for watching us. And uh, once again, you can... Uh, ask whatever you're interested in, ask whatever you need in the comments uh, section. And also we're waiting for your trade scenario scenarios because the best scenario, the best trade scenario, we will give you some prize or reward or something. We will applaud you or something like that. We cannot uh, offer you a you lot. Should, you <laughs> should stop right there <laughs> until you say something you'll regret. I mean... <laughs> Jonas Miklovas uh, will take full responsibility for that. So I'm, I'm Fair okay. Enough. Fair enough. Okay, so thanks again for watching us and enjoy the EuroLeague.